0: Thanks, Ty. It is it is very special to be with you tonight. Like Ty said, it is my last Sunday with you, serving you as a pastor before I go on maternity leave. So there's a lot of mixed feelings. Very sad to be leaving, but very excited for the next season. Um, I was reflecting on this and it's, it feels weird to think that as crazy as ministry life is, we're now stepping into a full-time vocation that's even crazier. Um, So your prayers are appreciated there. Thank you so much. Um, And I know you've probably been thinking it for a few months now. Don't worry. I haven't just let myself go. There's a few kilos that are chocolate and ice cream, but I promise the rest is baby. So it's fine. It's all good. (laughs) As we're continuing in our Joshua series tonight, you might remember last week, Ty shared on Joshua chapter five, that God's way is the best way. And I love the story he shared about moving furniture with his dad. So his dad owns a furniture business, right, moving them. And Ty thought it'd be a great idea to give his dad advice on how to do it. But ultimately came to the conclusion that his dad knows exactly what to do, just as our heavenly father knows exactly what to do. So tonight as we look at Joshua chapter 6, i want to build on this idea that God calls us to be obedient to his ways. Even when we cannot understand them, I want to use this story as a case study as we have a look at this. If you remember where we left off in chapter 5, the leader of the Israelite people, Joshua, is looking out over the city of Jericho that God has instructed them to capture. Now, just to add some context, remember that Joshua at this point is an 80-year-old man. He's the general of the army of the Israelites who he's going to lead into battle, the first battle with the city of the promised land. This is a monumental moment for the Israelites. This land has been promised to them, to their ancestor, Abraham, hundreds of years ago. God had this beautiful land prepared for them, a land flowing with milk and honey of safety and provision. But if you remember, when the Israelites left Egypt, a journey that should have taken 11 days took 40 years because of their disobedience. And now 40 years later, here they are, finally in the land that God had promised them, And they're faced with another choice. Will they obey God and occupy the land as he has instructed? Or will they disobey him again? And we can only imagine this is all fresh in Joshua's mind as he's looking out over the city of Jericho and he encounters a warrior who identifies himself as the commander of the Lord's army. This encounter is what Bible scholars call a Christophany, which is the Old Testament manifestation of the pre-incarnate Christ, which is just a fancy way of saying Jesus is here speaking with Joshua right now. Let's have a look in Joshua chapter 6, verses 1 to 5. Now, the gates of Jericho were tightly shut because the people were afraid of the Israelites. No one was allowed to go out or in. But the Lord said to Joshua, I have given you Jericho, its king and all its strong warriors. You and your fighting men should march around the town once a day for six days. Seven priests will walk ahead of the ark, referring to the ark of the covenant, each carrying a ram's horn. On the seventh day, you were to march around the town seven times with the priests blowing the horns. When you hear the priests give one long blast on the ram's horns, have all the people shout as loud as they can, then the walls of the town will collapse and the people can charge straight into the town. Now, I want to stop here and give credit where credit is due Because the very fact that Joshua could keep a straight face through all of this and not turn to God and say, are you serious, is an absolute miracle. Because what God says here is not a good military strategy. Remember, Joshua is the general of an army. He is looking out over the town and he has a plan. He has a battle plan and a strategy to tackle these 15-foot-thick walls that cover Jericho. Joshua has his plan, but God has another plan. Instead of ramps, ropes, battering rams, arches and spears, that would be the normal and logical way to go about this city, God instead wants to arm the Israelite army and Joshua with ram's horns priests and a wooden box and when I say ram's horns I literally mean ram's horns in fact would you believe that someone in the church actually has a ram's horn for you to for me to show you this evening you ready take a look at this this is your weapon of Jericho honestly if I was in Joshua's position I would look at the ram's horn look at God back at the ram's horn and go, God, are you serious? You want me to tackle Jericho, 15 foot walls with a musical instrument. It seems ridiculous. But thankfully, Joshua isn't me. And instead, he obeys. Let's take a look from verse 6. So Joshua called together the priests and says, take up the ark of the Lord's covenant and assign seven priests to walk in front of it, each carrying a ram's horn. Then he gave orders to the people, march around the town and the armed men will lead the way in front of the ark of the Lord. After Joshua spoke to the people, the seven priests with the ram's horns started marching in the presence of the Lord, blowing the horns as they marched. And the Ark of the Lord's Covenant followed behind them. Some of the armed men marched in front of the priests with the horns and some behind the Ark with the priests continually blowing the horns. Do not shout. Do not even talk, Joshua commanded. Not a single word from any of you until I tell you to shout. Then shout. So the Ark of the Lord was carried around the town once that day. And then everyone returned to the camp spend the night. Joshua got up early the next morning, and the priests again carried the ark of the Lord, the seven priests with the ram's horns marched in front of the ark of the Lord blowing their horns. Again the armed men marched behind in front of the priests with the horns and behind the ark of the Lord. All this time the priests were blowing their horns. On the second day they again marched around the town once and returned to camp. They followed this pattern for six days. Can you imagine the people of Jericho, the Canaanites, at this point? We've already heard they're fearful of the Israelites because they've heard of what their God did in Egypt, in the Red Sea, and now at the Jordan River. And now I don't know anything, but I would speculate but that after that first day, the Canaanites are pretty shaken up. The text says that they have totally locked up the city. No one is going in or out for the fear of the Israelites approaching. It would have been so tangible in the air. But then the Israelites leave. They march around the city once and then they go home. Can you just imagine the Canaanites' confusion? What just happened? And then the same thing happens the next day, and the next day, and the next day. And I wonder if by the sixth day, the Canaanites have taken to grouping on the walls of the city, looking down at this ragtag procession of priests and their horns and their wooden box. And they're going, come on guys, come check this out. Come look at this, they're at it again. Another lap around the city. And we can only imagine knowing human nature but at this point the Canaanites are probably feeling pretty confident in their walls. Six days and the Israelites have not worked out how to get through. They seem totally clueless. No plan, no attempt to even break these walls. And I wonder if at this point the Israelites have become the subject of many Canaanite jokes, of heckling from inside the walls. Can you imagine how the Israelites are feeling? Six days they've been obedient to God. Six days they have marched around this city, probably feeling like absolute fools carrying musical instruments. And yet with no results, nothing. Not even one fallen brick. And I can only imagine what they're thinking because I think we've all had our own Jericho experiences. When God has called us to step out in obedience, but nothing seems to happen. And we're there asking, God, where are you? What are you doing? Why are you doing this? And our faith begins to waver because we cannot see or understand the way in which God is working. And fear begins to consume us. I want to share with you about the African Impala. We might even have an image of it up on the screen. These creatures are awesome. They can jump 10 feet high and 30 feet in distance. Huge, huge distances. But they can be trapped by a three-foot wall in a zoo. Because you see, if they can't see where their feet will land, they will not jump. And so instead, they're trapped. When we're obedient to God, we have the the potential to scale great heights through God's empowerment. We have the potential to see breathtaking miracles taking place. But the moment that we cannot see the outcome, where our feet will land, where God is working the other side of the wall, fear often consumes us. And we're trapped. We begin to fear that our obedience in God will make us seem less than we really are. Will Make people think less of us. We become afraid that we might miss out on something that the world has to offer. Or that we might be rejected by those around us because they might think we're weird or we might get to a point where we're uncomfortable. And sadly, there have been so many times in my life where God has called me to be obedient to give away possessions or money, but I've refused because I want to appear successful or I just want to have nice things and be comfortable. Or when God has asked me to do something so small and yet I don't do it because I'm so afraid of what other people might think of me. Can you imagine if the Israelites gave up after the sixth day? if they stopped marching around that wall because they were worried what the Canaanites would think of them or because the heckling inside those walls got to them. Imagine what they would have missed out on. 40 years ago, they missed out on entering the promised land and seeing God do an incredible work in their lives because of their disobedience. You see, the work of God is preceded by the obedience of his people. And what I mean by this is that God doesn't need us to work, but he chooses to work through our obedience. When we're obedient to God, we see incredible things happen. But when we are disobedient to God, we are the ones who miss out. If we want to see an incredible move of God in our lives, of impenetrable walls collapse, of seemingly impossible situations just melt away, we must first be obedient to what God calls us to do. And then when we look back at our lives, we will see a tapestry of God's spectacular works, of his faithfulness, because this is what the Israelites experienced. Don't you want to be able to look back when you're old and grey and see what used to look as like sacrifices and instead see a spectacular outworking of God's faithfulness and power in your life, a lifetime of his love. When we are disobedient to what God calls us to, we miss out on seeing the great things that God has for us and our community as I've been preparing to finish up work, I've found myself looking back over the last two years of ministry. And to be perfectly honest with you, I never wanted to be a pastor. I really wrestled with God to be obedient to that one. I didn't want to give up my lifestyle. I was comfortable. I didn't want to give up my career. I didn't want to preach. I didn't want to have the responsibilities that went with the role. And so I wrestled with God. I was out of my depth. I was ill-equipped and underprepared. But now as I look back at what at the time seemed like the most absurd and ridiculous thing in the world to me, I am overwhelmed by God's faithfulness, overwhelmed by seeing God move in ways that I cannot take credit for, (laughs) to be challenged and strengthened and changed by the power of the Holy Spirit and God at work doing things that I am not capable of because of him. And that is what the Israelites have experienced. And that is what God wants for you as well. He wants you to witness him move powerfully and experience the full fragrance of his love. And we, if we look, if we keep going in verse 15, we'll see that this is what the Israelites experienced too. On the seventh day, the Israelites got up at dawn and marched around the town as they had done before. But this time they went around the town seven times. The seventh time around, as the priests sounded the long blast of their horns, Joshua commanded the people, shout, for the Lord has given you the town. Jericho and everything in it must be completely destroyed as an offering to the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute and the others in her house will be spared For she protected our spies. Do not take any of the things set apart for destruction, or you yourselves will be completely destroyed, and you will bring trouble on the camp of Israel. Everything made from silver, gold, bronze, or iron is sacred to the Lord and must be brought into his treasury. When the people heard the sound of the ram's horns, they shouted as loud as they could. Suddenly the walls of Jericho collapsed, and the Israelites charged straight into the town and captured it. I love this story because I always wonder why God chose to work in this way. God, with all his power, all his wisdom, could have had the Israelites capture Jericho in any way he wanted, but he chose this way, a way that seems almost intentionally absurd or foolish. The city of Jericho was designed for warfare, for siege warfare, locked up and prepared, totally impenetrable. The Israelites did not have experience in this kind of warfare. They were ill-equipped, unprepared, and far outside what they were capable of. But you see, God's plan isn't a military strategy, but an act of worship. The seven priests blowing seven horns over seven days, marching seven times, is intentional it's meant to take our minds to a religious procession a worship celebration not a military assault and you know what I love about this it's God's call for the people to respond after six days of obedience and still not being able to see over the wall six days and seeing no results what does God ask the people to do Shout. He tells them to shout. A better interpretation of the word used here is a shout of joy, a shout of praise. Even when everything seems impossible, even when we can't see or understand how God is working, we are called to praise him. At the shout of praise, the walls of Jericho crumbled and God delivered Jericho into the hands of the Israelites. It wasn't the Israelites who defeated Jericho. It wasn't Joshua who fought the battle of Jericho, but it was God who worked through their obedience to perform a miracle. Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you this town. I want you to think about the walls in your life. Maybe you're looking at a situation that just seems impossible and you can't see any way through it. Or maybe God has asked you to do something that you feel ill-equipped for, underprepared for, something so ridiculous and beyond what you're capable of. Let me remind you, God's work is preceded by the obedience of his people. When God calls us to be obedient, to have faith and trust in him, we can move from fear to faith because God has already given us a victory. Remember, before the, even battle, the battle had even begun, God said to Joshua, I have given you Jericho. I have given you Jericho. Jericho. If we want to achieve God's purposes, we've got to do it God's way. And as I invite the band back up, I want to ask you tonight, what is God asking you to do? What step of obedience do you need to take right now to see God bring victory into your situation? Maybe you need to come to God afresh, And say, God, what do you want me to do? It doesn't matter what you ask, how crazy it sounds. I am willing and available. I think Tim K said it best a few weeks ago. He said, Lord, the answer is yes. What is the question? When we are able to say that statement, to say yes, without even knowing what the question is, we need to have complete faith in the person who is asking. Do you completely trust God and that he is worthy of your obedience? Or maybe you're wrestling with obedience. Maybe you have stepped out and you can't see God working. Not a single brick has fallen and there are no results. And you're crying out to God going, God, where are you? What are you doing? God calls us all to the same response tonight, to shout, to praise and worship him because he has already given us victory. And just like the Israelites, when we are obedient to God, we will be able to look back at this situation and we will see his faithfulness and witness an incredible move of God. if this is you tonight, I want to give you the chance to be obedient, to respond, to have a physical act of obedience and commitment to God, to say, God, I will follow you. I will follow you anywhere. I'm going to pray for you in a minute and I want you to just sit with God and ask Him and seek Him. Ask Him Lord, what do you want me to do? Lord, give me the strength to do it. And Father, I will praise you even when I can't see you. And at the end, we are very blessed, actually. Someone has come to play our ram's horn. And you'll hear it blast long. At the end of it, just like the Israelites, I want you to shout. I want you to praise, no matter what you're going through, no matter your situation, we are called to praise because the victory is already ours. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you that you are one who is worthy of our obedience. We thank you that your thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Your ways are higher than our ways, Father, even when we can't see it. Even when we can't understand how you're working, we see no results, Lord. We thank you that you are moving. Father, give us the strength to be obedient, no matter how hard it is. Give us the strength to keep marching and not give up on the sixth day. To not give up when things seem like they're too far gone. Help us to keep marching. So that when we look back, we can see an incredible outpouring of your love and power. A spectacular witness of your work, Lord. We just want to see you moving. We want to see you working, Lord. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, let's stand, we're gonna worship